Hi, this is Lily, and I'm a member of the Beacon Church. Welcome to our podcast. My family and I have been attending Beacon for a few years, and we love how the pastors reason through the scriptures every Sunday. We love the fellowship, the kids' classes, the singing, and oh, the cafe is great. So if you're in the neighborhood, we'd love to meet you. We meet every Sunday at 9 a.m., 10.30, or 12 noon. We're located at 65 East Williston Avenue in East Williston, New York. For more information, visit us at visitbeacon.com. See you soon. We're going to jump in here to uh, our message for the morning, and we get to talk. Well, you guys, every morning I wake up, and uh, I have on my alarm, I have a quote from Yoda. Any Star Wars fans here? A couple of really enlightened people. Excellent. Um, I'm a big Star Wars fan. Yoda, of course, is this font of wisdom. I wake up to, uh, to this Yoda quote every single morning on my phone. Do or do not. There is no try. Every time I wake up, the alarm goes off. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Just want, let me just stay in bed. Do or do not. There is no try. Don't try to get out of bed. Just get your lazy butt out of bed. And so, of course, that's what I do. Yoda's got all sorts of great ones. He's got another one uh, here about evil. You guys remember this. Fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. That's a good one. That's like nearly biblical right there. That's some good stuff. One that I've had on my board now for probably like five months. It's upstairs. I wrote it on my whiteboard. It's this one here. Difficult to see. Always emotion is the future. It's difficult to see. Always in motion is the future. It is difficult to see the future. We don't really actually know what is going to be happening next. And that's what we get to talk about today. The future, particularly the last things that are described in the Bible. This is called eschatology, from the word eschatos, which means last. So this is the study of last things. Now, for those of you who have been in Christian circles for uh, some time, when I say eschatology, what do you think about? Revelation, the last book of the Bible, it talks about the last things. Not what I'm going to be talking about, though. When you hear eschatology, what do you think about? What do you hear? What comes to mind? Anyone? Nothing comes to mind with eschatology? What's that? A spelling bee? No, yeah. E-S-C-H-T. Like some people think in terms of like all these things we heard, like, you know, the rapture. You know, anybody remember the Tim LaHaye books or the late great planet Earth? Has anyone been a Christian for more than a year in this? Okay. Uh, this is not the circles we generally run in, but, you know, there's things like the rapture and things like the millennium and things like, you know, the tribulation period and the beast that comes out of the water and, you know, and all that kind of, that's a big part of eschatology. None of what we're going to be talking about, though, for, for us today. Those are neat topics, neat conversations. Uh, a lot of people disagree on all sorts of facets of that stuff, and it actually isn't all that important. The part that I like helps us get ready for the future. That's the part that I want to focus on. Erwin Lutzer, he tells a fable. 
about a man who was uh, struggling to make it through the desert. He had been, been stranded in the desert for many, many, many days, and he was parched, and he was about to die from dehydration. And he finds himself a well in really good shape with a beautiful pump next to it. And next to the pump is a jug of water. The pump doesn't do anything right now. It doesn't work at all. And the jug of water is, has a little tag on it. It says, please use this water to prime the pump. If you prime the pump, you will be able to get an endless amount of good, clean water. The well is deep and abundant. And you need to leave the water jug full for the next traveler so they can prime the pump. So what do you do? Do you drink the water that's in the, in the container knowing that that's actually your immediate need? Or do you pour the water into the pump and hope that it produces water for you and for the travelers who will come? Endless supply promised or the sure thing right now? What would you do? Because it might reveal a little bit about how you view the future and what it is you're trying to extract from this world. Because this world had a beginning and this world will have an end. And this summer we're going to be looking at some of the foundational teaches, teachings of Beacon. The mission, the vision, the values. And when I say Beacon, I'm talking about you. I'm talking about me. I'm talking about the people, our spiritual family, our local church. Because it's the people that make our church what it is. So what gets us up in the morning? What keeps us sort of slogging through? What do we set our sights on? What inspires the hope that is in us? So we're going to start our time over the summer by talking about the end of the world. So open, if you would, to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. Keep it open, if you would, for the duration of the message, because I'm going to be in and out of it right up until the very end. Matthew chapter 24, we're starting in verse 1. And we're going to see that Jesus is coming back. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked? Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? The apostles assume that there will be an end of the age, that the Messiah would usher in. The world, as we know it, will end, and it will be replaced with a new heaven and a new earth. And this is not an isolated teaching right here in Matthew 24. It's actually found in nearly every book of the Bible in one way or another, from the very beginning to the end. There are hints and there are references and there are direct teachings, extended teachings even, that talk about this. One theologian, Wayne Grudemy, wrote this fat systematic theology. He said, there will be a sudden, personal, visible 
bodily return of Christ. He hit all of those words because each one has, the, the absence of each word has led to different heretical teachings throughout the history of Christianity. Sudden, personal, visible, and bodily return of Christ. And this is one of the great hopes of the New Testament. In John 14, verse 1, he said, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. This is Jesus speaking. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Have you ever really considered this? Has, does, this does this factor in to the way you live and the way you think about this world? What we pursue? The things we love in it? How we act, behave, and all of this? The fact that Jesus is coming back. He is. We just don't know when. We just don't know when. Look down at verse 36. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken, the other left. See, we don't actually know when it's going to happen. And he says it's going to, be, it's going to happen largely when no one is expecting it. You're going to be going about your lives, doing your thing. He says, you know, one piece person will be working, one will be eating, one will be drinking, one will be going to get married. This is what happens. You're just going to be living normal life and Jesus will return. And you don't know when. Now, that doesn't mean we stop living for the future, right? Because we, we don't know when. That's the other side of this. We don't know when, so we can't stop working or saving or studying or buying insurance or anything like that. Don't sell your home and move to some Christian commune in the mountains, though that might be fun of some weird way. Don't stop working for that degree or preparing for goals in the distant future because Jesus is going to return. We don't know when. It could be a thousand years. It could also be before the end of this service. We don't know when. And that matters. Now, some of you who've been around the Christian circles, which is apparently none of you, you might say, you might say that um, there are signs that have to happen first. You've heard that there are like signs that have to happen. And so it can't happen at any moment. And I would just say, in, in my estimation, my understanding, I, I think we might have, have misunderstood this a little bit. There are signs that are listed throughout the scriptures. But I think many of them may already have happened and that we may have missed them or misunderstood that they were actually the signs that Jesus was talking about. I also think that some of the signs that clearly haven't happened yet could all happen within moments almost contemporaneous with his return. Clouds and sky and light, you know, the, the big cosmic kinds of things. It could all happen at the same moment as his return. And so there's a lot of it we don't understand, but the scriptures make it very clear that nothing must happen before he returns which means he can return at any moment. We also get to see that the return will be awesome. 
The return of Jesus will be an amazing thing. Look down at verse 42. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. Who then is the faithful and wise servant, whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. It'll be a good thing when he returns. It's going to be an awesome thing. The servant is going to be blessed. It's going to be good, he says in verse 46. It's going to be good for that servant. He's going to be put in charge of everything the master has because he was shown to be, be ready, to be waiting, to be doing exactly what it is that the master wanted him to be doing. We also see that it is our blessed hope, Titus 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, the fact that he's coming means that we will live different today. And that's our blessed hope because whatever we give up today pales in comparison to what he will bring then. It'll change the way we live because this is our blessed hope because in fact it will be the culmination of our salvation. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 26. But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. You see, this is the restoration of all things. This is the new heaven and the new earth. It's when all of the sickness will be gotten rid of and every tear will be wiped away and where all of the hope of the nations will find itself focused on our master, our savior, and the king of the universe on Christ alone who will, who will restore the hope that humanity was meant to have. So we await with eager anticipation because the return of Jesus is going to be awesome. Unless you aren't ready for his return. Unless you aren't ready. Look at verse 48. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And, he begin, and then he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. See, when Christ returns, the unbelievers will be judged. There are lots of ways to meet your maker could be the second coming. It could be that it's your time. Are you ready? You guys remember the story about the three guys? They end up going to heaven and they're standing before Peter. 
And, you know, the first one comes up for his interview trying to figure out, you know, Peter's trying to figure out, should I let this guy into heaven? He says, so you got to tell me, you know, how did you die? And the guy walks up and he's in all kind of like construction clothes. And he says, well, actually, it's a bizarre story. I was working on a balcony at the 10th floor of this building and I was trying to repair this thing and I slipped and I fell and I thought, surely I'm going to die. But believe it or not, miraculously, I grabbed onto the, the balcony below on the ninth floor. And I'm hanging on there, and I think, oh, no, if I can only hold on until somebody comes. And right then, a guy bursts out onto the balcony. And I'm like, surely I've been saved. And the guy starts stomping on my fingers, and I couldn't believe it. And so I couldn't hold on, and, and I fell, and I fell. I'm like, surely now I'm going to die. And I land in the bushes, and I'm not dead. I'm injured, I'm hurt, but I'm not dead. And then all of a sudden, I look up, and a refrigerator is falling out of the sky and crushes me to death. And here I am, standing here, and it's Peter's like, that's an unbelievable story. I don't know what to do with you. Just go sit in the waiting room. I got to clear up the backlog here. Next guy comes up, and he's all dressed nice in a business suit. And Peter says, hey, what happened to you? And he's like, well, it's a terrible story, actually. But um, so I, I kind of suspected for a while that my wife has been cheating on me, that she's unfaithful. And so I uh, came home early from a business trip. And I show up in the middle of the afternoon, and sure enough, she's there in bed. And I just know something is wrong. And so I search the whole, the entirety of the apartment. I can't find anyone. I just know he's going to be found. So I, suddenly I bust out onto the balcony, and sure enough, hanging there is the guy from his fingertips. So I start stomping on his fingers until he lets go, and he finally falls and gets what's coming to him. But I look down. The guy fell into the bushes. He didn't die. So I just grabbed the refrigerator, I pushed it over the edge, and I just heaved it out the balcony, and sure enough, splat. And in all of the excitement, I had a heart attack and died. Just like that. And Peter is like, oh, that is an unreal story. This is, this is hard to even imagine that this took place. You need to just go sit in the waiting room until I figure out what, what to do with you guys. And the third guy comes up, and he's standing there just totally naked. And Peter's like, so what happened to you? And he's like, listen, imagine this. I'm hiding in a refrigerator. <laughs> there are lots of ways to meet your maker. Are you ready? It's a true story. Are, are you ready to meet your maker? Actually, there are two judgments that we, we want to talk about. There's the great white throne judgment, and there is the, the judgment called the Bema Seat. The great white throne is the judgment that the Bible talks about for non-Christians, for the unbelievers, for those who have not trusted in Christ, the great white throne judgment. Look at verse 31 of Matthew 25. Flip over Matthew 25 to verse 31. <clears throat> when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who were blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Look down at verse 41. And then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who were cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Some of you might be thinking, wait, that's not what happens to the goats. What is a go What's a goat stand for nowadays? 
the greatest of all time. That's what we use. A goat is the greatest of all time. You're thinking, that's not, the goats are, they're the heroes in our day. They're not, they're the greatest of all time. They're not supposed to be the, you know, the ones getting shoved off into, into an eternal abyss. Matthew 25, verse 46, then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. You see, it's the righteous who make it into the new heaven and the new earth. Maybe you think it should be the goats that make it to the new heaven. Maybe you think it's the goats who are the, who are the righteous ones. But if the scriptures are so plain as to tell us that only the righteous will make it into the new heaven and the new earth, you have to stop and ask yourself, am I one of the righteous? And you might think you are. You might think, I do pretty good. I work real hard. I go to church. I'm here now. I'm listening to this guy drone on. That has to count for something. Maybe you, you work real hard in, in your family and you've got a good marriage and you work well with your kids and you're providing everything you can for them. And so you think, look, of course I'm a righteous person. I'm a heck of a lot better than that guy over there. I'm better than those people over there. So who are the righteous? Romans 3, verse 10. As it is written, there is no one righteous. Not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away and they have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. The biblical witness is clear. There are none who are righteous. There are none who are qualified based on their own goodness to come before God. You're so far up that creek without a paddle. He's saying, you don't even have a canoe. You're going over the falls. And it's a certainty because there are none righteous. And you go down into verse 19 of Romans 3 and it says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. Now, Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. There is our key. How do we get righteousness? To which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. See, only those who are transformed by faith in Jesus Christ are considered righteous. Those who try to earn their salvation are not righteous. You can work real hard and you can do good things and you can do all of your religious ceremonies and you can still be separated out from the sheep. You could still be a goat. You might actually be a real goat in this world. You might be the greatest at what you do. You might be the most successful. You might be the top of your field. You might be the smartest in the room. You might be the wealthiest person around. You might be a real goat and still miss the new heaven and the new earth. At the end of this service, I'm actually going to be giving you an opportunity to make a decision today to stop being a goat, to accept Christ as Savior, and to know 
that you can have eternal life with him. Because you're not guaranteed any moment. You're not guaranteed you'll make it through this day. And we don't know when Christ is going to return. And if you refuse Christ, the scriptures tell us that you will stand before the great white throne judgment. And that's the final judgment we see in Revelation chapter 20. Verse 11, he says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, the earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Listen, I'm reading all of these scriptures to you guys today, and I'm just lacing this whole thing with scripture because I don't want you to think that this is some idea that I've come up with. I'm not up here trying to pull some like preacher trick and kind of, you know, get everybody like emotionally into it. I'm telling you what the scriptures teach us and what Christ said because you are reckoning with him now. You're here in this room at this moment because Jesus is calling you to a decision. This isn't about me. It's not about what you think about. It's not even, where are you at with him? Are you willing to call him a liar? Are you willing to say he's a fool? You willing to say he was he was mistaken? Or are you willing to say that what he told us is true and that the future for him is clear? There's another type of a judgment that's described in the Bible. And this one is for Christians. It's called the Bema seat. It actually comes from this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. We must, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That judgment seat is the word bima, the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So there is this belief among Christians that somehow after we have come to faith in Christ, that now it's all just one big equal playing field for all of eternity in heaven. That that's it. You know, once we get there, it doesn't matter how we lived or what we did. We're all in, so we're in. And somehow we've taken these reformation principles of salvation by grace alone, and we have neglected a huge chunk of the biblical teaching toward this end, myself included. We want all things to be equal. Melanchthon, he was Luther's, Martin Luther's confidant and a theologian of the Reformation. He said, we teach that good works are meritorious, not for the forgiveness of sins, grace, nor justification. For the, we obtain these only by faith, but for other physical and spiritual rewards in this life and in that which is to come, there will be distinctions in the glory of the saints. This is difficult for us to believe. In fact, many of us don't even want to believe it. Erwin Lutzer, he described it like this, dependability on earth, faithfulness on earth, translates into greater responsibility in heaven. Our present faithfulness or lack thereof will have eternal heavenly repercussions. 
He entitled this chapter, Tears in Heaven. Eternal heavenly repercussions for how we live today, Christian. We will be rewarded for all of time based on how we live now. Temporal for the eternal. Romans chapter 14, verse 10. For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. We are going to be laid bare before the bema seat. Every thought that we have had, though we thought it was secret, every stray idle word, every secret action, every harsh word, every dreamer that we have squashed, all of it will be laid bare and it will be reconciled there at the Bema seat. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said, for the Son of Man is, is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. 1 Corinthians 3, 12, he says, If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what had been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved even though only as one escaping through the flames. Is that your goal for eternity? To escape as if by the flames? To have your reward stripped away and you just make it in? And some people say, I'll just be glad to just make it in. Really, so you're investing so heavily to build your empire here, but you're okay with none of that in heaven. Sounds to me like you haven't weighed out the difference between temporal life and eternal life. Otherwise, it would change everything about the way we live. Revelation 22, this is Jesus, the very end of the Bible. Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. This is not an isolated teaching, my friends. It is all over the scriptures. If you want others, go look at 1 Corinthians 3.8, Hebrews 6.10, Ephesians 6.8. See, at the judgment seat of Christ, believers are rewarded based on how faithfully they served Christ, how well we obeyed the Great Commission, with what kind of courage we used to share our faith, how victorious we were over sin, whether we controlled our tongues or whether we were gossips or complainers, whether we persevered under suffering, whether we endured injustice for the sake of the name. And on and on the scriptures go. The self-indulgent, lazy Christian will not receive the full blessings of the kingdom of God. They won't. We won't. So are you ready to die? Are you ready for Jesus to return and to meet your maker? Are you eagerly awaiting for the return of Christ? You know, the more we get caught up in this life, even the good things of this life, the less we look for and the less we long for 
and eagerly await the return of Christ. You know how it is. We, the more we get wrapped up, the more we get entangled, the less we prepare for his return. Now I'm talking to the Christians here. Not those of you who are not Christians. I'm talking to the Christians here. Do you live every day as if it matters for eternity? Because that's what the scriptures are calling us to do. Are you ready for the return of Christ? If you knew that he was returning tomorrow, would you live differently today? Are there relationships that you would seek to reconcile? Are there things that you haven't said that you would definitely say? Are there behaviors? Are there, there sin issues that you would ultimately finally conquer? Are, is there a changing of your priorities in the way you live your life? Is there someone that you have neglected to share the love of Christ with? That if you knew he was returning tomorrow, you would rectify today, right now. You would say, I have to tell them because Christ is about to return. Because he is. And we have to live every moment in such a way that if Jesus returns, we will have no regrets. Later on in our chapter in Matthew 25, verse 21, he says, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. How many of you want to live your life in such a way that when Jesus returns, you hear, Well done. Well done. My good and my faithful servant. I gave you a task. I gave you a job. I called you to a higher way of living, and you did it. I'm proud of you. And I know it was hard and I know it cost you a lot and I know it was, you suffered for me. Well done. You did it. Last week we told you guys through the video to go do something for the kingdom. Why? Why go do something for the kingdom? Because Jesus is going to return. So we're here to bring our the love of Christ to our neighbors. Let's get about it. And let's be the women and the men that God called us to be. Chris is going to come up. We're going to sing a song before, but as he comes up and we're going to, we're going to do that together, I'm going to offer you guys two prayers. All right, I'm going to offer the first prayer for those of you who are followers of Christ but have not yet been living with the awareness and in the practice of his imminent return. And I'm right there with you. I've been working through this message all week, and so I've been, I've been struggling with how it is that I've just neglected or even forgotten that he is, in fact, returning and could return at any time. And I see my zeal sort of failing in this. So I'm going to offer a prayer, and if, and if that's you, if you're here this morning saying, man, I, I want to do this different. I want to live every day as if he is really going to return. Then just pray this prayer with me silently in your heart. And then after that, I'm going to offer a second prayer for those of you who are not yet followers of Christ. The first prayer. Let's pray to this. Uh, you guys can bow your heads with me, and if this is in your heart, then you can just uh, repeat these words after me. I mean, in your heart. Heavenly Father, please forgive my lack of concern and interest in the return of Jesus. Help me to reorganize my life in such a way that I might hear you say to me, well done, 
Forgive me, Father, for not living as if Jesus might return at any moment. Please cause the hope of Christ's certain return to change the way I think about the world, how I live my life, and how I share my faith. Amen. Now, for those of you who have not yet ever made a decision, or you don't know if you've ever made a decision, you're not sure that you'd go to heaven, you believed before you came in here today that you were going to be good enough, that maybe God would balance out the scales, and now you're seeing it's not what the Scriptures teach, it's not what Jesus said. He's saying you come by faith alone. And you come with the full awareness that he died for you and that you're a sinner and you can't save yourself. And if that's you today, then I'm going to ask that you pray a different prayer with me. And the rest of you who are already followers of Christ, be praying for the people who are wrestling with God right now. Let's bow our heads and you can pray this in your heart after me. Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner and cannot save myself. Thank you for sending your son to die for my sins. I trust him for my salvation and repent of everything in my life that displeases you. Help me to live my life as if Jesus was returning this very day. Amen.